0: You guys are Minneapolis friends.
1: right. We're taking over.
0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash This episode is sponsored by DevMountain. Dev Mountain is a coding school with the best world-class learning experience you can find. Dev Mountain is a 12-week full-time development course with only 25 spots available. Each cohort fills quickly. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure you are getting the most out of the class. Tuition includes 24-hour access to campus and free housing for our out-of-state applicants. In only 12 weeks, you'll have your own app in the App Store. Learn to code—it's time. Go to devmountain.com/iFreaks. Listeners of iFreaks will get a special $250 off when they use the coupon code iFreaks at checkout. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 112 of the iFreaks Show. This week on our panel we have James Uber.
1: Hello from just a few blocks south of Minneapolis.
0: Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Mike Ash.
2: Howdy from Fairfax, Virginia.
0: From Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. Yeah, I'm back. We also have a dun, special dun, dun, dun. I know. I think every week in June. I had something scheduled right when we record this, and the other shows I missed like two out of the four or five, but this one just, yeah, anyway. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, it's Eric Kerber. Hi, from
3: Minneapolis. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I work for Target, the Target, i an iOS developer on what we call our flagship application, so we have you know, a few out there, I mean, you're into Target land, cartwheel is a big one that people tend to use quite a bit. I work on the actual Target, the app, which is, you know, where you go to do all of your commerce and in-store stuff. But I've been doing iOS development for a long time now and uh, worked pretty uh, tightly with um, the Apple Pay integration back when we launched with it, which I'm assuming is, you know, kind of why I'm here to talk about. Yeah, we did. We brought you
0: on to talk about Apple Pay. Do you want to give a quick overview? I'm assuming most people know who it is because iOS developers... You know, keep track of what Apple's doing, but it'll at least give us a place to start from.
3: It's Apple's big payment feature they introduced back right alongside the iPhone 6 back in last September. And it is basically their payment system built on top of an existing tokenization system. And i the name of it uh, slips my mind. But basically what it does is it provides a, a secure way for an iPhone user to add a, a credit card to their phone and you use that to make payments both in a store via an NFC terminal or in an application itself, like, for instance, what we do with the Target app. Now, it's got a pretty solid uh, tokenization system that backs it up now, the, the goal behind that is to uh, make it more secure in terms of somebody trying to intercept your token you pass to, say, an NFT terminal. Well, that becomes useless to them without some of the existing kind of infrastructure they have put in place. So it's meant to not, well, I guess their goal or their dream is to have it replace credit cards. But another goal they have in place is to minimize, you know, what we have in your wallet. So all of your payment information. And I think, I think in Apple's mind especially is that you can do all everything with your iPhone or with anything else, your Apple Watch and your Apple ecosystem, I, I guess you could say.
0: Right. So, as an iOS developer, why do we care about Apple Pay? Because it seems like it's kind of a point of sale thing.
3: Right. Well, point of sale is is half of it. The other half is, you know, what you can do in the app. So there's a, it's actually part of PassKit framework. So the same framework that handles your um your passbooks. Actually, it also gives you the ability to buy stuff within an app itself. Now, key difference between in-app purchases, which, you know, are typically used to buy, I guess, what you might call software items, like level upgrades or something in a game. Uh, Apple Pay is, is meant to actually buy physical items or physical world things. So when you use Apple Pay in an app, you are actually using your credit card and in addition to the touch ID in, in, iPhone 6s, six, 6s in past to actually buy something, say, in the Target app. So, suppose you just want to buy a pair of Beats headphones and you can use Apple Pay to actually purchase it through the app channel as opposed to actually going to the store as well. Um, it's got some other cool use cases outside of, you know, just buying things. I think, uh, you know, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world, you can use it to actually pay for your cab rental. So, uh, I think one of the cool use cases is you don't need to create an account. Uh, with Apple Pay, it's kind of one of the big ideas behind it is you can just go into an app. Your phone knows kind of who you are, knows your address and your your payment information, and you can actually pay for your Uber ride with uh with Apple Pay. So you're in the Uber app and you're buying something with your credit card. And so yeah, it kind of um there's a whole I guess world of commerce possibilities that you, you sort of get with a secure payment system they've they've built up.
2: So how is that to integrate into an iOS app? I guess you've, uh, if you've done that with Target, um, how, how is it to work with? What kind of difficulties do you run into?
3: Well, it's the, the API itself is actually pretty simple. I think if you look, you know, at the Apple documentation, it's probably about two or three classes you create. And, you know, there's, you create a, an object that's called a PK payment request and you pass it into a PK payment view controller. And there's a few delegate methods you, you handle with that actually will trigger when a user changes either their credit card or their shipping address or their contact information. And that stuff's all pretty simple. Um, The only kind of nuance I like to joke about is that you have to deal with address book, which is probably one of the most maddening APIs Apple gives us. But um, that's what I consider the easy part. Now, the part that's actually more difficult, suppose you, you have an app of yourself or you're you're working for a company that wants to do Apple Pay is actually the there's a quite a bit of um backend support you need to do to support that as well. So you actually have to handle the entire I guess ecosystem of Apple Pay yourself, depending on who exactly you use for a payment processor. So I guess to elaborate on that, if you use Stripe for instance, they kind of handle all that for you, and they actually provide you know special flavor of their SDK to handle the back end for for you but if you're like us and use our own payment processor it's quite a bit more effort to sort of integrate their you know the back end the tokenization with some of the um with some of the payment processors that they use so it's actually when you when you do this i guess the summary is it, it's a whole ecosystem challenge and more it's more so even than just what you do in the uh in the iOS app itself
1: so let's talk about Stripe. If we're doing a Stripe integration, they just brought an SDK. We talk with the SDK directly. Do we need to do any server work? Do we have our server teams working on stuff like this?
3: Yeah. So it's it's a little bit easier with Stripe because they actually handle the so you the user puts the thumb on the on the touch ID, and that creates a token. And you actually send that token to Stripe, and they sort of do some magic around that. And in, in, in Stripe, in the Stripe world, they actually give you back a Stripe token. So and that thing actually works like with their API backend and beyond that, it's actually just like a regular credit card to you, but you do still have some server work to go with in, in terms of, okay, you've authorized a payment. You actually have to tell your own servers like to, you know, fulfill that order. So your server has to take in that um, Stripe token and say, okay, they bought a pair of shoes now order to fulfill this shoe order. And, and it uses that, that the Stripe backend to then fulfill that order. I guess if that makes sense. So your server will actually send the final token to Stripe, and then your backend will also have to, you know, do whatever you need to do to fulfill the order. So there's not much you can do with Apple Pay that just involves your app and, you know, some, like, magic backend. Like, you're going to need a backend of your own.
0: Now, that's because there's some fulfillment dealio yeah. that you have to work with, whereas with, let's say, in-app purchases, you know, you're just working through iTunes.
3: Right, and I think you could, in theory, send all that final stuff straight to Stripe from your iPhone. But that's kind of, um you know, how, how how does that how does that purchase get backed up in any ways? Something I probably wouldn't recommend because of
2: that. Asking for trouble there if you're letting arbitrary clients talk directly to an API like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> refund all the things. <laughs> I'm just trying to uh, figure out then, so as an iOS developer, if you're implementing things with Apple Pay, you're going to be working with somebody on the back end or doing back end programming as well, right?
3: Yeah. And, and most likely you'll be working with them on a special API that actually accepts, you'll get back some data from the Apple Pay SDK, and that'll include things like the payment token and then some other sort of metadata about the transaction, such as like the total order of it, and you have to have the back end accept that payload, and usually that backend will then take that token data and send it off to the payment processor which usually owns the private key to decrypt that so you're gonna work with them to create an API to accept that for one so
0: I guess the other thing is 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 the API that you're building then pretty simple on the back end
3: uh, sort of painful? <laughs> for, for us it wasn't and that's kind of a it's kind of a good theme to talk about is that Apple pay makes it easier for, for users in that, you know, it stores all of your information on it. But, you know, when you kind of build this on top of any existing infrastructure, chances are you're going to have some kind of tug of war over who owns what. For instance, suppose you have a backend that's like, okay, you know, we store user addresses, we store their payment information. And all of a sudden you have a way to sort of kind of relinquish all of that storage to Apple. and you kind of have to work around some of the assumptions your backend might have made to sort of make it work with your system. And so, like, for a big ex- existing company, it's probably pretty tough. Now, if you're creating a little startup and all you do is Apple Pay, then you can probably streamline what you're doing to just match just the kind of this what we have going on here. But I guess kind of loop back around, it kind of depends what you're starting with to okay. see how complex those APIs are.
0: Right. And how, how much of the information is opaque to the backend service? Because you said that they had a key that they had to decrypt some of the information. Yep.
3: It's just the... Actual payment information by payment I mean the uh the thing that decrypts the payment token into like what comes out of it is like the total amount of the purchase and some other stuff. what is actually visible to the to the back end and in our app is we actually do get you know in plain strings their shipping address their contact information and stuff like that so we do send those you know we we do get those in in text that we can send to our back end, but the payment itself needs to be decrypted by the whoever owns the private key gotcha.
1: So when you're dealing with a user of Apple Pay, do they have any control over which credit cards are used for this? Is is their iTunes account? How does the user does the user have any control over what accounts are being set up with the Apple Pay?
3: Yeah, um, even the ones that are in iTunes, you need to go through the verification process. So I think if you're using this for the first time and you had you know one credit card in iTunes and you say you up, upgraded to iOS iOS uh, eight. I think what you'd see is, hey, do you want to add this iTunes card to Apple Pay? And if you say yes, then you actually have to go through their uh, bank verification process. You know, where they usually, depends on the bank itself, but you know, I think like for Chase, for instance, they'll send you a six digit confirmation code. So you, you really control it by just going through that process for any card you want in Apple Pay. And then, of course, you have to then select that card when you're about to make a purchase as well. Okay, so when you're making a pay, if you have multiple cards registered to your name, you get to
1: choose which one to use.
3: Yeah. Yep. There's a little selector. If you actually if you tap on the payment method in the Apple Pay sheets, it'll bring up a secondary view that'll have all of your available uh, cards that you can use. Oh, very cool. Now, I suppose
1: we should back up and talk about you know, how do we even do Apple Pay. I've seen like stores that was in a coffee shop in San Francisco and said, hey, we take Apple Pay. And I'm like, wait a minute, am I even set up for that? And I had to look up how to even do it, because I knew I had a watch, which supposedly could work, but like, how do you do that from the watch? Or which phones work?
3: Was that Blue Bottle, <laughs> by any chance? Yeah, it was Blue Bottle, yes. Right across from uh, Stripe's headquarters? <laughs> yep. So with that, you're, you're wondering how you know to have it set up? Yeah. So, I I'll mean... How do I do it? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, if you if you set up Apple Pay ahead of time, what'll happen is if you put your phone next to the NFC reader, it, the, the context of the Apple Pay will actually automatically pop up even if your phone's locked. Uh, and then you can just apply your thumb to the, to the fingerprint scanner and it'll all go through. All right. Now, if you're on the watch, there's a little bit of user interaction you need to do ahead of time, which is double tap on the, how would you call that? The sleep button? The non digital crown button. And that'll actually enable the Apple Pay context itself. Now, if you don't have it set up, then it just probably won't, it won't do anything if you approach the terminal. So yeah, you have to say, basically you have to have it set up ahead of time. It won't prompt you to add anything.
1: Okay, so if you have it set up, you'll get some notification. Your wrist will vibrate or something, and you'll say, "Oh, I have the option to do an Apple Pay." Does it detect when you're near?
3: If you do the phone, yes, and by near I mean you know you put the phone within like a few inches of the of the reader itself. But yeah, for the watch, you have to double tap the little sleep button, and then it'll once you put your wrist by the terminal, then the payment will just go through. It's sort of oh. the double tap is kind of a replacement for the touch ID sensor is triggering the payment itself. Okay, so it doesn't really notify you you're within ten feet or anything that you have the option. No, you have to no. see nothing, it. And... Nothing that close. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of terminals out there that my reaction is I see an NFC terminal and I'll put my phone up there, and most of the time it'll work. I'm not an expert in point of sale systems. I don't know what dictates if it'll work or not. And I, I mean, it's pretty obvious that. Some places, just by having an NFC reader, can accept Apple Pay without any work. I think we saw that with, who was it, Walgreens. But um, usually, if you see an NFC terminal, there's a good chance it'll work. You just got to put your phone up next to it just to, to make sure, or see the big Apple Pay sticker they might may or may not have on top of it. I
0: worked for some companies that had proximity sensors that would let you in the doors, and I'm just waiting for somebody to try and hip-check the credit card machine.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to do that actually if I had uh, (laughs) NFC credit cards and I'd I'd do that every so often. It was very rare to find a terminal that actually accepted them and was at the right height and all that, but uh, definitely doable.
0: You jump up and down, wiggle your hips.
2: Right. Yeah, they,
3: I mean, they haven't actually opened up the um, NFC chip for anything that's not Apple Pay yet, so it'd be cool to see, it's cool to see if they did that, but for now it's just basically going to activate for for terminals. I guess you might be talking about whether an NFC Reader and a door would just recognize
4: a phone in general.
2: But. Well, you just have to charge people to get in the building.
4: <laughs> oh, there you go. I wonder what you were talking about. If somebody comes up to a, a physical reader and they don't have Apple Pay set up, there's no provision for them to, you know, it, it, the phone won't prompt them to set it up or anything, which actually yeah. sort of makes sense. But uh, in terms of adding Apple Pay support to your app, what's the experience like if a user goes to, to check out in your app and they have not set Apple Pay up on their phone, but, but you have Apple Pay in your app? Can you detect that? Is there some way to tell them that you yeah. go set it up, or how does that work?
3: Yeah, there's a series of you know class methods on, I think it's PK Payment View Controller that actually say can use Apple Pay, and then one that says I like can can use Apple Pay using payment types, and you can pass in a series of payment networks like Visa or Mastercard. Depending on if those return or not, you can know if they have a capable device and if they have cards on there that can make the payment. Now, if they don't, then you can probably Display some custom UI yourself and let them know that to go add it. But for now, I think you can't actually put a. As of iOS 8, you can't add a card in your app itself. You actually do have to go to the Settings app, and open up the, the Passbook Apple Pay tab and add it add it from there.
4: Right. Okay, that makes sense. Another question that comes to my mind is: Is there any minimum for using Apple Pay? I know I know of course whatever payment processing you're u- using may enforce some minimum, but like, could you charge somebody one cent? Does Apple care?
3: No, they don't. I'm not sure if your company would lose money off the process. I don't know. I don't know what a credit card fee for one cent is.
4: Like
2: <laughs> yeah, I think or, they're but... usually structured as some sort of like fixed fee around like twenty thirty cents plus a percentage. So yeah, you would probably be paying that customer to yeah. take your stuff. <laughs> yeah. I so sort of, I sort of just uh, curious. You mentioned as of iOS eight. Have you looked at iOS nine at all? And is there anything interesting coming up uh, in this area there?
3: Yeah, So I've been digging my head through what's public and they did add some cool stuff. Now, actually I talked to the the, the impression I got was that a lot of the magic is still NDA, but in terms of how the new, you know, to give some kind of background, they, they announced the support for, for private network cards, which is like kind of a really big deal. I think on the, in the keynote, they showed, I believe it was Kohl's had their, whatever reward card they had in Apple pay. Now that one, you do actually need to add it within your app itself. And what's kind of interesting is, you know, I, I remember there's a lot of talk back when it was first released that, you know, you can add Visa, Mastercard, or American Express. But you know, there's all these, all these what we call private label cards out in the wild that you know you can't add to them uh, because mm-hmm. you know they're if they're not backed by those three, or I guess now as of iOS nine, Discover as well, then There's basically no way for Apple to talk to the banks that sort of handled those. Now, they did add support for private cards with iOS 9. Now, the details of that I'm still kind of getting through, but my impression is that you actually add them in your app and they are just passbook passes, just like a ticket to a baseball game, only it represents something that you can pay with instead of you know, just an arbitrary ticket. Now, the other kind of interesting part of that is, from what I believe, is that you don't you can't add these private cards in the settings app. So if I had, suppose Starbucks had their own card, I couldn't actually go into the settings app and just type in you know, whatever credit card number they have on, on their card because it wouldn't be able to recognize or tell that it's what kind of card it is. So instead, I believe you are not only able to, but required to add private label cards from your app itself. Uh, so there's, there's new view controllers that actually allow you to add a, a payment card to Passbook and you can kind of leverage some of your own, you know, private backend APIs to sort of grab what those card numbers are and add them. Yes, something I'm still, like, trying to, like, wrap my head around, Um, but it's something I know that is going to be possible as of iOS 9.
0: I'm also wondering, does Apple Pay work when you're offline?
3: No. Communications need to happen between Apple and your phone itself. So that's actually a good question. Maybe I'm not entirely correct on that one. So the magic behind Apple Pay is that you have, you know, this, this cryptogram on your in the secure enclave on the phone, and there does need to be a transaction between your phone, Apple, and the bank when you add the card. Now, I actually, you know, I think I may be wrong in saying I said that before because when you, once you have that in your secure enclave, then all of that encryption happens in the secure enclave itself and then is sent over NFC and verified on the point of sales back end back to, to the payment processor and Apple. So, gosh, I should know that, but I, I believe it should work.
2: I, I want to say that it has to because it's just too fast on the phone's end. You know, it takes like yeah, half a that's, second. Yeah,
3: that's kind of to... yeah. You're totally right on that it yeah, It calculates the the cryptogram or the you know the, the the token on the fly, just inside the phone itself. So yeah, Redcon that initial thought. It is. I we'll just edit possible. that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: I I also know that Apple Pay works on the watch even if you don't have your phone with you. That's one of the one of those few things that works without the phone being nearby. Oh. So that must work offline. But of course, if you're accepting Apple Pay in your app, it's sort of hard to place an order and do right. payment processing without a network connection. Yep.
3: Actually, I did not know it worked without your phone on the watch. It's actually interesting. I, didn't, I know the watch itself also has a secure enclave. And that's probably the reason why.
4: Yep. Well, you figure it out when you go to the store and realize you forgot your phone and your wallet, but you have your watch on. <laughs> nice.
2: They really should have something on the watch that's like... St- dabs you in the wrist when it notices you've left your phone behind you know before you get too far
4: (laughs) you know i was just thinking that yesterday at a coffee because i was at a coffee shop and i had my phone sitting out on the table and i just had the thought if i forget my phone when i leave my watch should tell me that i left my phone somewhere you know but uh, no they don't have that
2: it's some conspiracy you know the more you lose your phone the more you have to buy new ones so they really don't have the incentive yeah of course they want to sell as many phones as they
4: can They don't really even have Find My iPhone on the watch. Well, I get that's not true. They have that thing where you can ping your iPhone and make it make a sound. That is the best feature ever, by the way. Yeah, I've used it to find my phone in the couch plenty of times. I'm curious to know, speaking about the watch, is there any support for adding Apple Pay to an Apple Watch app? An Apple Watch app? No. Yeah, so I don't know if Target has an Apple Watch app, but imagine there's a Target app. I think there's an Amazon app for sure, but can you let people buy stuff right from their watch? We do have a watch
3: app. They just announced with, in the last WWE that you can add Apple Pay cards to your watch directly on your watch instead of just going through, right now you kind of have to go through your phone to do that.
4: Actually. Yeah, I had to call my bank to add cards to my watch even though they were already on my phone. I thought that was a little silly.
3: Yeah, that's, that's actually maybe, I'm wondering if I misinterpreted that and if you could do, if you could make Apple Pay purchases on your watch itself. That's a research gap on my part.
4: <laughs> it still raises the question though of whether it really makes any sense at all to s- browse a store on your watch, well, you know, and find things that you want to buy and I don't know. To me that doesn't actually make any sense. I
3: That that doesn't make sense, but I can trade stocks on my watch. There's no reason I couldn't pay for an Uber from my watch, right? So it's you wouldn't yeah, you wouldn't browse and you wouldn't shop for something like that, but some of those really kind of straightforward transactions like a cab ride, you know, that, that might make sense.
2: I guess you're right. So here's a wacky idea. Could you use the in-app buying stuff as sort of a substitute for a point-of-sale terminal, you know, sort of like the Apple Store kind of experience where you, uh, you know, maybe you go into the physical store, pick up an item you want, you point your phone at it, pay in the app, and walk out the door?
3: You can. I'm trying to think of some weird... So kind of little side story is you can kind of do that with the Target app because with our app, you can... Purchase something to ship to you, or you can purchase it to pick up in the store. Now you can, in theory, sit in the store, buy it in the app, say to pick up in store, and then walk over to the service desk and pick it up. So I mean, that is a, that is a real use case. Now I think there's some we're trying to encourage people not to do that. I can't remember why though. It might have something to do with like in-store pricing or sales tax or weird right. stuff like that. But I mean, nothing. I guess nothing's stopping you.
2: It might just be a matter of patience too. You know, if it takes. 10 minutes for someone to go get the item and people are going to complain because people are unreasonable.
4: Well, Apple lets you, and in the Apple store, you can use Apple Pay in the app to buy something and walk out the door and you never even have to talk to a person in the store. But you always feel like a shoplifter when you do it. You're right. (laughs)
2: I was just thinking of that as they do do that. Yeah, and I wonder how do they even know that you're not shoplifting? I mean, how does that work?
4: I've used it a few times and nobody's ever said anything to me. I've even well, – I, I know where they keep the bags at the Apple store and I've grabbed a bag myself without even talking to anyone. And nice. No
2: questions asked. But you see that's only half of the experiment. You still need to do the control group where you actually do steal it and see if they do catch you just to see. If, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you try that one. <laughs> All right. I'll report back if I ever get out of jail.
0: I was going to say I'll videotape Andrew doing it.
1: It's for science. Just tell it's for science.
3: <laughs> there you go. Actually – A funny story around that. You're wondering how they do or don't know you stole something. Well, who watched NBA basketball in the 90s here? Anybody? A little bit. Uh, Rex Chapman was busted a little bit ago. I think what's the date here? September 19, 2014, for stealing a bunch of stuff from Apple stores a lot all the time, but acting like he bought them. So he just (laughs) would pick up an item and walk out the store. And they eventually busted him, but that was one of those funny stories because he made $22 million during his a career, but
2: I guess yeah, the, I word, the word eventually understand. kind of answers that question, doesn't it? Yeah.
3: Well,
1: judging from the keynote, I think sports people are having trouble affording, you know, Apple products.
2: They had to ship a bunch to that one, that one pitcher for the batter. Who,
3: who knows if that wasn't staged, <laughs> but great marketing material.
2: Well, apparently they must charge pro sports players uh, way more than they charge us because that one guy was like, I want an iPad or $5,000, you know. <laughs> yeah. They must have a special catalog for just for those guys. I guess so. It's The gold plated, you know, iPad. Yeah. Well, so, no, it's yeah, it's
4: the Apple iPad edition, right? Yes, that's right.
1: <laughs> Comes with a gold chest strap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And a watch crown on the side, a giant one.
1: So when we're developing for Apple Pay, is we using the the PassKit framework? Is that like Objective C, or is that like a C API?
3: PassKit's Objective-C, its address book is the C API. Now, actually, thankfully, it's something that actually I just remembered is they did release, I believe it's iOS 9, not iOS 8.4, that they released kind of a wrapper around the address book stuff, which, you know, so thankful for that it's called a PK PassKit contact info class, and actually wraps that horrible, horrible... (laughs) address book API into something that's Objective-C or Swift-friendly. But uh, yeah, the the core passbook API is Objective-C. A
2: horrible C API from Apple. I've never heard of that. Right. Yeah, they're usually so nice and friendly.
1: But overall, is developing for this pretty straightforward, or does it get a a lot of quirks?
3: Yeah, it's super, super straightforward. You know, it's something you can usually confine to one class with a straight face, nothing too complex. The only sort of – I guess there's one kind of other painful thing that always got me was just kind of the little undocumented behaviors that you sort of determine when you kind of work your way through it yourself. Uh, the first one I ran into was there's there's a callback for – or a delegate method for, you know, they did change their shipping address. And it gives you that passbook reference – or not the passbook, address book reference – and so what you do is you try to grab all their information out of there. Oh, there's their name, there's their zip code, there's their city, there's their address. Except, oh, no, city and street are nilled out. And you don't know why. You have no idea why. You just, you're thinking that you just screwed up your address book calls, which, you know, of course. But after you play that for a while, you see that those fields actually get populated when they complete the payment, like when they actually scan their finger. So that's actually a – it was a feature, not a bug – in terms of, you get the callback whenever they switch their selected shipping address, but Apple doesn't want you to have access to the finer details of the shipping address until they've actually confirmed their purchase. So you can't actually grab their street address until you know they're going to ship there. And now can maybe kind of swing back to, is it easier or hard depending on if you have, you know, an existing backend like we do. Well, our backend happened to assume that you had the whole address when you calculate, you know, shipping address or sales tax. So. <laughs> It's kind of those little nuances that sort of you know, they they bite you when you least expect it. And another one was it's all all of their um, line items are done with N S decimal numbers, and if you screw that up or send a nil number in or an S decimal number doesn't like the view controller is basically just nilled out when you request one, and there's not a lot of information to why uh, in the in the uh, output ter- output console it just says failed to create payment view controller. Try good Thanks. luck figuring out why.
1: Thanks Apple. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Those are always delightful.
3: Yeah. So I think they, one of the things I ran into was they, they don't accept, for instance, nil if you're doing a, um, like, uh, shipping, shipping method. So you can have, you know, you can have them select what shipping method they want to use, like, you know, overnight or standard or whatnot. But if you try to, if you don't provide a, an actual total for that, like suppose, you know, your backend API just don't, can't calculate that ahead of time,
2: it'll just silently fail the whole new controller. So, how do you handle that then if you can't if it's something you just can't provide, but it forces you to well, you just don't use it
3: for instance, I think right now we or when we first launched, we just didn't give the opportunity to select shipping method uh we just kind of defaulted them to our standard and you know if they wanted to pay tens and tens of dollars to get it overnight, then they just couldn't do that with Apple pay. We eventually fixed that, and so we can now support that, but it's just kind of one of those other this little Nuances where the the framework itself said, you know, we're not going to provide arbitrarily cost priced shipping methods, you know, using our UI. So
2: maybe that'll be a uh, an incentive to improve that if possible. I don't know. Sometimes Apple just does not like to face up to the real world, but uh, sometimes right they push things along. So I don't know.
4: I don't know how much you can say about this, so feel free to just defer the question. But I'm sort of curious to know what impact adding Apple Pay had on the Target app. So, say you have a you have an app that already allows users to buy things using you know your existing payment processing and ordering system where they just put their credit card number into the app. Does adding the convenience of Apple Pay and and also the security benefits and stuff does that seem to have had an effect and you know made purchasing more attractive for some set of users?
3: Yeah. It definitely has paid off in the fact that, you know, I think Apple even mentioned it in some of their sessions that, you know, conversion for Apple Pay is just, you know, much higher than traditional payment methods. And if you're not in the Commerce Land, conversion basically means the number of users that buy something versus the number of users that either use the app or put something in their shopping cart. It's very high for Apple Pay. I think it's part of that is there's a lot of, you know, enthusiasts that are excited to use it. And we're all for helping them use that to make their purchases. It does come with, like I mentioned earlier, some, you know, just some kind of pain points in development wise. Like, for instance, you know, Target has a list of credit cards or shipping addresses on file for your account. And then so does Apple. And how do you sort of mesh those options on one solid UI that have two entirely different data sources? So we did have to put some square pegs and some round holes just to like get Apple Pay an option that's selectable next to your other three credit cards that are on file. Uh, in our app, but I think, I mean, I do think it's worth it. Like, people not only want Apple Pay and apps, but I, I think largely they expect it nowadays. I mean, you can even see that in some reviews sometimes where, you know, an app won't support Apple Pay and people will give it a one star and say, why don't you support Apple Pay? Demanding enthusiasts.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I imagine they do that in uh, stores too. I, I know I, I sort of prefer to shop at stores that accept Apple Pay now for various reasons, but one is like, the grocery store near me accepts Apple Pay and that scenario of forgetting my phone and my wallet was a was a true scenario and I was able to pay with my watch and it was no big deal and it was it, it was kinda cool. So
0: Right. Alright. Anything else we should talk about with Apple Pay?
4: No, I think uh, I've I've actually learned quite a bit. It's not something I'd looked into before at all. Eric's done a good job of answering my questions.
3: We're glad to help. It is not quite as easy to dive into an experiment with just simply because of I guess all the back end work you have to do more than just newing up a few classes in Objective-C or Swift and seeing it pop up on the screen.
0: You can give me your credit card number, and I'll experiment with it.
3: <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and do
0: some picks. Jane, do you want to start us off with picks?
1: Sure, I'll start off. I've got one pick. So back when I was a younger developer, those motivational posters were pretty common. I don't know, they must have been, like, thrown in by whatever company did office supply, did the cubicles. Here, we're throwing these motivational posters. So a number of my coworkers hatched a plan that we would replace one of these motivational ones with a, a demotivator. And it never carried it out, but I like to think about it. So every once in a while I go over to like the demotivation site and you can get a picture of a bear sitting in a stream with a salmon going right into his mouth. And says ambition, which oh, that looks pretty nice. But underneath it, it's the journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. But we, <laughs> we hope to replace the motivations with one of these and see if anyone ever noticed well, we never got around to it, but maybe someone else can pick up the, pick up the torch. It's so. a noble goal because excessive happiness is a huge problem in the world today. <laughs> it's a, it's right. a big drain on productivity, so
2: we can't have that. So that's my pick, Demotivators.
0: All right, Mike, do you have some picks for us?
2: I'm going to pick Blitz Ortung today, uh, which is on my mind because we had a nice big storm roll through here in Virginia yesterday. And uh, what it is is volunteers run uh, electronic lightning detectors all over the world and feed all the data back to a central server, which then plots real-time lightning strikes on a map of the world on your computer. And you can just watch this stuff go on, and it's really cool. And it's even useful because you can look at what's going on in your area and see where the uh, storms are coming in. Or it's just fun to sort of sit back and enjoy and marvel at the fact that stuff can be detected and shown in real time from so far away.
4: That sounds cool. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah,
1: my my cousin is a storm chaser, so he's always doing that type of stuff. That seems pretty cool.
0: Basis for the movie Twister, right? Something like that.
2: It yeah, wasn't go. about that party game? <laughs> yeah, Something so like that. Driving towards a tornado and playing Twister. Is that how? Is that, there we is go. Is that the movie?
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, My memory's not quite clear, but I think that's what happened, yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah, they're cruising down the road. Right hand, yellow. All right, Andrew, do you have some picks for us?
4: Yeah, I've got a couple picks. My first pick is an app called Hopper. It's prob- we've probably picked it before, but Hopper is a disassembler for OS X and Linux. I didn't actually realize it was for Linux or remember that it was for Linux until I just found the website again. But
2: so anyway... Uh, a recent edition. Yeah.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, Hopper can can disassemble a binary. And the cool thing about it is it's got a lot of really kind of a um, written for Objective-C programmers originally. And it can do... It can, can take the disassembly and sort of show you pseudocode that's in Objective-C so that uh, even if you cannot just read assembly like it's your native language, this can really help you Figure out what some compiled binary that you don't have the source code for is doing. And that, that also includes Apple's frameworks. So you can look through some, you know, method in UI kit that you're trying to figure out how it works and, and actually get some idea of how it works. Even if you're not Mike, although I imagine Mike that you use Hopper fairly often.
2: Yes, it's definitely one of my favorite apps. And I, I certainly second your recommendation. It's, it's a great tool and definitely worth the money.
4: Yep, it's not a free app, but it's one of those that, uh, the first time you use it to, to figure something out or fix, fix a bug or whatever, it is worth the money you paid. Uh, my second pick is ham radio. I mentioned that I'm ham radio operator a few episodes ago and I actually got an email from a, an iFreaks listener saying he w- didn't, he's been a long time listener, didn't realize I was a ham and, uh, kind of telling me about some of the stuff he's done, which was really cool. He's w- with his kids done, um, some high altitude balloon projects that use amateur radio. And anyway, I spent the weekend at a, at, at a ham radio event called Field Day where we set up radio stations, uh, run on emergency power for 24 hours and try to talk to as many people as we can in the U.S. and Canada. And, um, it just reminded me how fun the hobby is and how much it, means to me uh, it's why I'm a an engineer and why I'm a programmer so if you're interested in sort of technical hobbies there's a lot to ham radio a lot of different areas uh, for various interests from building radios to just talking to people to doing satellite communication emergency preparedness there are people who do all kinds of different things so it's a it's a great technical fun hobby. Those are my picks I think I let my ham radio license expire so I think I need to go and take the test again yeah I think you have a two- year grace period and then you got to go take the test again but so yeah you do need a you do need a license but the entry level license is not difficult if you're if you're a programmer you can study for and pass that license pretty easily yeah it's pretty simple
0: All right I've got a couple of picks one of them is uh, scouting uh, Boy Scouts of America great organization and I really enjoy being involved. Um, I'm involved at a couple of different levels at the district and my local unit. So, you know, just great organization, teaches good values, fun activities. I just can't say enough good things. Another pick that I have, I've been playing lately with the programming language Elixir. And so I'm going to pick that. I'm going to pick Dave Thomas's book about Elixir. It's a really good introduction, and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying digging in. And those are my picks. Eric, what are your picks?
3: I want to call, I, mean, I don't know if you guys have done it before, but... Reveal is something that I use that is absolutely irreplaceable. Yeah, so Reveal is basically a, a view hierarchy debugger, kind of like a, kind of similar to a DOM inspector if you're a web developer. I've done web development. But what's really cool about it is it gives you a lot of real-time native debugging techniques, such as you can view and edit constraints in real-time on it. It's similar to what Apple introduced in terms of their, uh, View Hierarchy Inspector, but it, in my opinion, it's done much, much better. And additionally, as opposed to what Xcode gives you, it, it is a real time.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for coming, Eric. If people want to know more about Apple Pay or about you or about what you're doing at Target or just in general, uh, what are the best ways to find out more?
3: Probably the easiest one is just Twitter. Send me a DM at Eric Kerber. All K-Z-R-I-K-K-E-R-B-E-R. all right right. back to you then very cool thanks Eric thanks a lot thanks Thanks,
0: guys it's been fun this episode is sponsored by Mad Glory you've been building software for a long time and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming work piles up hiring sucks and it's hard to get projects out the door check out Mad Glory they're a small shop with experience shipping big products they're smart dedicated will augment your team and work as hard as you do find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. To deliver your content fast with Cashfly, visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same Sign up at ifreakshow.com slash warner.